Good morning, Mark. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great, Arrow. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Right, out of 39. The Define what geek is, because my wife and I have looked at this list. We both lived 1982. What made it a geek year? Well, I think the ubiquity of great and groundbreaking genre films. Okay. So whether it's science fiction, where you have E.T. and Blade Runner and Star Trek II and The Road Warrior and Tron or Fantasy, A Conan the Barbarian, The Beastmaster, Dark Crystal and horror, of course, it was also a banner year with John Carpenter's The Thing and Poltergeist and Creepshow. So even, you know, you can consider comedies in that, yeah, whether it be Tootsie or 48 Hours or Night Shift, and, and the list goes on and on. It's really an extraordinary year when we say, you know, geek films, quote unquote. So it, it was, it was, you start to see the influence of the success of Star Wars in 77, yeah. where science fiction was something the studios took seriously. They were throwing real money at, but they didn't know, they didn't know what would work. So it's very interesting to sort of see you have the huge success of something like E.T. and then a film like Blade Runner, which comes out and dies at the box office, but then in retrospect is considered one of the great movies of yep. all time. Yep. So it's a fascinating year, and I think that's what we really learned in the process of doing the show. That was also the year that I got my first beta player. And I, I just, I mean, it, all of a sudden, I could have these movies at home. It was like, okay, hurry up and get them out of the theater. Let me buy that movie. I don't care how much I have to pay. I just want to build a library. Well, I'm so glad you said that because I think the emergence of home theater is such a crucial part of this year because um, even though VHS and beta existed before 82, this is the year that the studios started putting out things at what they called popular prices. I don't know if they really were that great, but uh, Star Trek II and Officer and Gentleman came out at the end of the year on a VHS and beta for $39.95. And this was groundbreaking because until then, the only way you could see something was to rent it at a video store, and they were paying over 100 bucks each. Yep. Now you could own movies at home and create a video library. And I think this is the reason why suddenly these films – uh, uh, become so loom so large because people weren't just going to theater and seeing a movie once, twice, maybe seeing it again on TV. They would watch films over and over and over and could start quoting the dialogue and they knew these movies <laughs> back so and true. forth. And it was the same thing because it, you see the emergence of HBO and suddenly people are watching stuff on HBO over and over again. I mean, like the great thing about the Beastmaster that came out that year is. Uh, you know, people started calling HBO. They said, you know what that stands for? Hey, Beastmaster's on. Long before The Sopranos, it was, you know, Beastmaster was on every 12 seconds yeah. because they only showed R-rated movies at night. So the PG <laughs> movies they had, they would show over and over and over again. And you couldn't turn it on without seeing, like, the Beastmaster and a lot of these movies. That is so funny that you bring that up because 1982, I mean, I stopped going to the drive-in because I. why do I want to go to a drive-in to see an R-rated movie when I can just go to HBO? <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, so you got HBO. I mean, it's such a, a turning point in terms of popular culture. You have home video really exploding. You have more HBO in more homes than it ever had been in. And then, you know, you also have, because in 81, a little thing called MTV premiered. And um, you see the emergence of the music video. But 82 is when it really becomes huge. And uh, I think NBC, uh, you know, started uh, Friday Night Videos for people who yes. didn't have cable. Oh, my God. I and that. so, all of a sudden, a hit song could open a movie. Yeah. So you have Officer Gentleman, which is huge, based on the back of the Joe Cocker, Jennifer Warren song, yep. you know, up there where we belong. And then, of course, Rocky Three had Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. And, like, 
you couldn't go anywhere in 82 without hearing Eye of the Tiger wherever you went. You would walk out of the grocery store, turn on the radio, and it, all of a sudden Eye of the Tiger would be on again. You'd get home and turn on the, and it would be Eye of the Tiger. You couldn't escape it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you the song that gets me, and and I, I, the movie Night Shift is a great movie, but but the Commodore singing Night Shift is the reason why I love that movie because I I was so in love that Marvin. Da, 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 da. I mean, I love it's that song. That, that is a great point. The, the, the song in Night Shift, and it's funny because a lot of people don't remember Night Shift, and yet for Ron Howard and Henry Winkler, who um, are featured in the docu docu series, it was such an important movie for them. It was Ron Howard's big you know sort of studio breakthrough he directed some movies some tv movies but this was a big uh, thing for him and then henry winkler it was the first time he worked with ron howard outside of happy days and they were so excited to talk about it, it was so funny because when we were sitting with henry talking to him about night shift he says you know i shot all these super eight home movies uh, <laughs> on set and i never actually developed them would you be interested in these movies for the documentary and we're like yeah henry we sure would and so we, we he, the deal was we would get them developed and use them and then give them back to him. So he actually had them finally after 41 years. And one of the joys of the comedy episode is to have all this unseen footage from behind the scenes of Night Shift. I, I, I that was I, I I felt like Indiana Jones. I felt like a <laughs> pop culture archaeologist. You know, this was our Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> he Henry Winkler is so down to earth. I remember during the lockdown, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to talk with him, and he was teaching his kids in his backyard, and we were just sitting there having a conversation. It, it, he's just so giving to everybody who has ever supported him. Oh, he's so warm and so fantastic, and it's so great to see the success he's had now with Barry and the Emmy nominations and all that. There, you know, it's funny because Ron Howard—they're probably not two nicer people in Hollywood than Ron Howard and um, Henry Winkler—and for them to find each other and have this incredible friendship, professional and personal, is is really remarkable. I just wish everyone in Hollywood was like Henry Winkler because he's so appreciative of his success, and you know, he had success very early in his career, and it was people forget. I mean, Happy Days was huge was a huge show and he was a huge star and he never let it go to his head and uh, that's great we can't forget about talking about fast times at ridgemont high to me this was a life-changing movie because we had never seen anything like it and that soundtrack not only brought people to the theater but that swimming suit scene (laughs) i can still see that bikini yeah well i i worked in a video store uh, around then uh, i was in high school and um I'll, I'll never forget everybody who would bring back the tape. It was all, uh, you know, it was when they didn't rewind it. It was always at that scene. Yes. At that scene, <laughs> you know, and there's a joke that on tape, you know, it would start to disintegrate because people would just watch that scene with Phoebe over and over and over again. But, you know, it's funny because, of course, we all remember that scene and it's amazing. <laughs> but uh, it, it, that that film is has so much more depth than the average teen exploitation movie. I mean, you 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 combine Cameron Crowe, who who went back and relived high school and wrote this incredible Rolling Stone article about his experience going back to high school, and Amy Heckerling's sort of nuanced direction and it's been called the citizen cane of teen exploitation yeah. but calling it teen exploitation really does it a disservice because it's not porkies it's not zapped it's a movie that has a lot on its mind that even today i think uh is relevant for you know teenagers who are grappling with all these kind of difficult issues of growing up and and you know going from being an adolescent to an adult and it and it's just damn funny i mean yeah. sean penn is spicoli <laughs> oh my god i mean yeah, how great dude. is that and yet it has so much heart 
Oh my God! It, it, nothing, nothing like this will ever exactly. happen again, right? I mean, because I mean, the 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 way that streaming has taken over, we've all become binge watchers. I, I just I, I want people to go back into theaters so desperately because there's nothing like seeing that big screen come to life. You and me both. I mean, it, it, unfortunately, it's like the streamers they treat and they call it all content. And for me, you know, this, this is when films ceases to be art and it just becomes content. It's just widgets. And back in '82, th th these movies were all special. Yeah, they were special to us. They were, you know, and that's why we remember them and then why they stand the test of time. And you could go to a theater and wait online, you know, because there were no. Uh, uh, reserve seating. There was no buying yep. tickets in yep. advance. Yep. You, you could wait online for hours, you know, before getting into the movie you want to see. Plus, there were a lot less multiplexes, and yep. um, it, it was it, going to the movies was an incredible experience in itself. Which I think is something we opened this, the docu series with in our first episode, which repeats tonight on the CW. And um, I think it's really uh, uh, it's an elegy for a lost era. You know, it, it sort of makes me sad because people today don't have that experience of cherishing the movies and going to the movies and it being something special. You know, they get, you know, dinner brought to their reclining seats. It's not the same. <laughs> I think Michael said that I have to cut out at 930. Is that true, Michael? 939. 939. Good. We're not done yet. Thank God in heaven. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Far from it. This is a 20 minute or keep it rolling. I'm loving it. <laughs> well, the, the, the one thing that's so special about this is that you make it so relatable to every age group. Because in reality, I'm 61. And, and to me, I thought, okay, this show is going to be about, about my age. No, you're giving this to every age because it's going to give them the opportunity to explore. Totally. Look, Ari, that was the biggest challenge because we didn't want it to just become a nostalgia piece, like remember when, right? Something that belongs on the yeah, AARP yeah. channel, right? If, but it was about showing a new generation what it was like for us and why it was so special and how things have changed and how popular culture uh, could be less ephemeral and really stand the test of time than it is now. But at the same time, for people like us, and and that's what's so gratifying. I mean, the reviews have been, I think, some of the best reviews I've gotten for anything I've done in my career. And then also the reaction has been so positive. Because for people our age who remember what it was like, there is that sense of, oh, my God, this captures that time so well. And then for younger audiences, I think they're really captivated and amazed by what it was like. And, and, and also – one of the great joys for me is people seeing films in this documentary that they're not familiar with and saying, oh, my God, I got to go see Diner. I got to yeah, go see yeah. my favorite year or I got to see Fast Times. That to me is is probably the true, you know, the true triumph. But I mean, B Night Shift is another great example. I mean, I think that's a movie that we really do justice to that, you know, a lot of people may not know. And um, uh, and, and then finding new layers to the things we do. I mean, one of my favorite uh, segments is um, Conan the Barbarian, where we have the original tapes for Orson Welles recording the commercials oh, and just not it. wanting to be yeah. there and making fun of the whole thing. And <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it's great. So whenever you can find something, come at it through a new new perspective. Even Star Trek II, which is one of the most well-documented movies of all time, I think we unearthed some incredible information and stories about that movie that people have never heard before, which is hard when it comes to Star Trek. I mean, it's something I've covered in depth in the past as well in my books, 50-Year Mission, but uh, we really, I think, unearthed some new information. What listeners don't understand is that this time period, 1982, and with all these movies, they don't understand that because of these movies, AM radio was given another year to breathe. I mean, the industry was dying 
dying very quickly as a music format, and we needed movie soundtracks like this to keep us above water. Yeah, and look at all the great movie soundtracks. You said it yourself, Night Shift, Fast Times at Richmond High, you know, uh, the songs we talked, Rocky Three, Officer and Gentleman. But a lot of these movies had these incredible soundtracks. Um, and then, you know, also movie scores. You had Jerry Goldsmith doing things like Poltergeist and John Williams' magnificent score for E.T., the extraterrestrial. Um, and, it, you know, Basil Polidorus' score for Conan. So it was a great year for for song soundtracks. It was also a great year for scores. Um it's just on every level, it's a remarkable year because we don't get into it as much to the the television shows, but it was the year Cheers premiere and Family Ties and Knight Rider and T.J. Hooker and, you know, Police Squad. It's it's just it's you know, it's just crazy. And then, you know, in music, it was an amazing year. Even in books, you had stuff like The Color Purple and Schindler's yeah. List and a, 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 a movie, a book that was very much a product of its time, which was super popular. People don't remember now. Real Men Don't Eat Quiche what? Uh, by Bruce Fierstein. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and. But everybody at the time was like reading or talking about that book. And um, we have Bruce in the documentary and I, we don't really get into that book as much. But um, I, I, who could forget? It? I mean, I remember that was a huge phenomenon that year. I got to be honest with you. I did not see E.T. in theaters. I waited until it came out on my beta tape. And, and, and so <laughs> I, I, I'm totally missed it on the big screen. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Arrow, because I this was the era where you didn't go opening weekend necessarily. I didn't see E.T. And then I I sort of didn't see it for many months. But movies would stay in theaters for like a year back then. So I think it was finally like five or six months into its run where everyone kept telling me how great it was. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go see it, you know, and and begrudgingly because it wasn't cool. I was in high school. It's like, oh, E.T., you know, and but these little kids. And of course, I loved it like everyone else. But, you know, something like Star Trek Two, I went opening weekend. But, you know, I was not going to E.T. the opening weekend. And then, you know, it was tough because you had the Sophie's Choice. And Sophie's yeah, Choice yeah. was another movie that that opened uh, uh, that year. But, you know, uh, when Blade Runner opened against The Thing and Megaforce, it was like, you know, what do you see? Or Poltergeist opens against Star Trek Two. It's like, what do you see? I mean, it wasn't just like one. It's like people now are talking about Oppenheimer and Barbie opening on the same yeah. day. Like, oh, this has never happened. Like, what do you mean it's never happened? It's like Star Trek Two and Poltergeist, Blade Runner, and and the Thing. And it's like uh, it's happened. It's, it's happened many times. <laughs> I, I can't imagine Margot Robbie what she's going through because every photo I'm seeing right now, she is dressed up like a Barbie doll. She is pushing that because she knows she's got some serious competition competition in front of her right now. Totally, and it's getting great reviews, and I'm excited about it. But I mean, you look at the films of this year, and you compare it to something like A2. That's what's great about in the documentary Leonard Maltin, you know, who uh, his it was his first year in Entertainment Tonight. He says we didn't know how good we had it, <laughs> and he looks back, you know, sort of you know, as an elegy for a lost age and saying, my gosh, I mean, 1982, so many amazing films back then. And, you know, one of the things we talk about ultimately is, you know, all these incredible films, what wins the Oscar that year? You have any idea what won the best picture that year? No, no. It was Gandhi, a movie that no one remembers, no one talks about, you know, you have every, all these classic movies that have stood the test of time, everything from 48 Hours to Fast Times to Blade Runner to Star Trek II, you know, uh, just incredible, incredible films, uh, you know, uh, uh, up and down. You know, Tootsie, 
uh, a diner. I mean, awesome gentleman, all these great movies. And w what's the film that wins? It's, it's Gandhi. So, but that's the kind of film that the, uh, you know, the Academy recognizes. Well, I got to tell you, I was never a Star Trek fan until the wrath of Khan. That was my Beatles moment. That changed everything <laughs> for me. Yeah. A lot of people, I've heard that from a lot of people, a lot of people discovered it uh, uh, with wrath of Khan. That was the film that made them a Trekker, you know, or made them aware of star Trek that they didn't hadn't watched the original series. Maybe didn't see motion picture, but when they saw star Trek two, that was the thing that got them excited about star Trek. And it's a look, it's a really great film. Um, Nick Meyer uh, did a remarkable job. Uh, it, it's extraordinary. That movie even came together and what a great year for Shatner is not yeah, only does Shatner yeah. have star Trek two, he also has Airplane 2, which he yeah. talks about in the documentary, which I've never seen him talk about. So it was great to have him talking about Airplane 2 because he's the only good thing in it. So it's great to have Bill talk about Airplane 2. He also does uh, T.J. Hooker. It's the season, the, the series <laughs> premiere of T.J. Hooker that year. And he's the captain of the ABC team on Battle of the Network Stars. It truly is the year of Shatner. If we hadn't called it Greatest Geek Year Ever, we could have called it Greatest Shatner Year Ever. Don't you love his confidence? I mean, I mean, that, if he ever changes, I, I, I just want, I, I want him the way he is. I love that about him. If he hasn't changed in 93 years old, he never is. And I'm so grateful to Bill for doing the documentary, you know, and he is wonderful and it has great stories. I wish we could have used, used even more. He talks about how at the time he was making Star Trek II, the director, Nick Meyer, was dating his daughter. And so he did not like that at all. <laughs> and uh, he just has such great stories. And there was another movie he did that year called Visiting Hours, this this Canadian horror movie. And we want to talk to him about that as well. I remember we said, so, you know, what can you tell us about your experience shooting Visiting Hours? And he's like, what's that? Oh, We're like, no. no, this horror movie you did. You know, he's like, I have no idea. I don't even remember doing that. <laughs> so there's not a lot of visiting hours in uh, the docuseries, uh, but uh, there's plenty of other horror films. I mean, it was great to give Halloween 3 its due, a movie that's gotten unjustly yep. savage. Obviously, Poltergeist is a big part of the first episode. Um, Creep Show, Cat People, you know, even Swamp Thing is we, we give a little oh love, you know, because. It's amazing, you know, now when superhero movies are ubiquitous and you have these huge blockbusters, some of the biggest movies of all time, you know, the after Superman, the next big superhero movie is not Batman in 89. The next big superhero movie is Swamp Thing, which is just <laughs> not a good movie. And it's, it's, it's in a little indie movie, you know, made for like next to no money. And uh, it's 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 incredible. And I, I again, a movie that's current, largely forgotten, except by the real diehards. So it was great to have Adrian Barbeau come on and oh. talk about her experience doing Swamp Thing, which she looks at as sort of a Beauty and the Beast story, yep. which it is. Yep. And um, she's the best thing about it, obviously. Wow. Mark, you got to come back to the show anytime in the future. I love talking movies. Movies are my life. I work for a movie promotion company. So, I mean, I have to know these movies. And you just took me down memory lane like you wouldn't believe. And I never saw one frame move. It was all in the conversation. Oh, well, Arrow, th thank you so much. I, look, I appreciate We're so happy. I'm so proud of this uh, Greatest Geek Year Ever 1982, this docuseries that's airing on the CW. It is truly a labor of love. You know, I had the idea during the pandemic. We've been lucky to get so many people, uh, uh, you know, both, you know, on on camera and then this whole conversation that started in the wake of it airing, uh, just talking about people's love for film. And th that to me is the biggest tribute, you know, the biggest, the highest ratings we can get are, are people like you who are just, you know, saying it, it, it rekindles their love of movies yep, yep. and why movie going is so special. Yep, yep. You be brilliant today. Okay, sir. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. Take you take care.